Please turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This passage is a, it's a great, great passage. It speaks of God's justification. It speaks of God's justification of us in Christ. Oh, prepare your hearts, church. Prepare your hearts to hear the word of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Oh, folks, prepare your hearts for the word of God. This is the most important moment of your week, I believe. Here it is. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your anointing to preach your word. I thank you for your anointing for my friends to hear your word. May we all obey your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I am Cuban with an Italian last name. That's right. If you looked into the Pino family tree, you would find that on my father's side, about four or five generations ago, they immigrated from Sicily to Cuba. Enzo, I know you're loving this, bro. And a double whammy. I married into an Italian family. Oh, yeah. I married an Italian beauty. And boy, do I enjoy Desi's Italian cooking. So... You will indulge me with the following illustration from a good Italian movie. Right? The Godfather. Come on, Angelo. Give me some props, bro. In this American classic, you have, you have the story, and it's actually a tragedy. It's not, it's not a movie of how great this family is. It's a movie, movie of the of the destruction of sin. It really is. But it, it's a great movie, man. <laughs> great acting. And in this movie, one of the main characters is a gentleman by the name of Michael Corleone. And uh, he eventually becomes the godfather. He's played by Al Pacino. 
And there are some incredible lines in this movie, and I want to expose you to one of them and actually use this line as somewhat of a theme tracing through my message this morning. Okay? Let me set the line up for the one or two of you that have never seen the movie. Michael Corleone is trying to protect his family. He doesn't do it in a biblical way, okay? I, I know that. He's trying to protect his family, and, and at, some, at one point, he has to take action against people that have just tried to assassinate his father, Vito Corleone. You know Vito Corleone? Okay. <laughs> I tricked myself right now. So he, he, he's got to take action against this, this other family, this mafia family that tries to kill his father. And, and he says, you know, I have to go. And I have to go kill them. And so his brother, Sonny, who's the, 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 the real flashy, energetic, wild one, he says, oh, Michael, Michael, what are you doing? Because, see, Michael Corleone is very calm, very cool, okay? He is just a cool customer. He never gets angry. He's always under control. He says, oh, Michael, Michael, you're getting way out of control here, Michael. You are, you are taking this very personally, Michael. Michael turns to his brother Sonny and he says, Sonny, it's not personal. It's strictly business. And that becomes Michael's refrain dur- during the entire movie where he's having all of his, all of his enemies killed, <laughs> okay, basically. And as they're machining gunning them, he's saying, it's not personal, it's business. It's not personal, it's business. Now, why do I bring that up at the beginning of this sermon? Here's why I bring it up. Because for all of his cool detachedness and all of his calm and all of his separating personal from business, unfortunately, that is not a trait that I believe we want this morning with this passage. And my fear is that many of us have a sort of Michael Corleone view of justification. We actually have a Michael Corleone view of God. Because what we say is, when it comes to my religion, it's not personal. It's strictly business. It's not personal. It's strictly business. How can it be personal? God is way out there. I am here. He doesn't personally know me. He just, he just kind of made a business deal. Now, it was a great deal. He came down personally. He died on a cross. And there is justification. But all it is really, you know, it's a business deal. You know what I'm saying? You had debt. God took care of your debt. He then put a million dollars in your bank account. It's a business deal. Let's shake on it. But it's not personal. And I believe that is antithetical to what scripture teaches this morning. I believe that what scripture is saying to us this morning is that it is in fact personal. And God wants you to take it personally. It is personal. And God wants you to take it personally because he took it personally because he chose to come and become a man and die for you. I'd say that's pretty personal, wouldn't you? He didn't send a surrogate. He didn't send someone else to do his bidding for him. He didn't send a a hit man. He took the hit for you and for me. And I believe that many of us 
have thoughts about God that are far too impersonal and far too detached. And this morning, God wants to bring it right down to a personal level. I want to read to you an email from one of our members talking about the truths of taking the gospel personally. Listen in as they describe for us the importance of being persuaded deep in your being of the great things about God and the gospel. Listen carefully. Quote, So not only do we need to be pointed to great things about God and the gospel, but we must be persuaded of our interest in these great things. This is what Corey helped me with two weeks ago. There has been since then this fresh wind of God's favor. Not generally or conceptually, like a business transaction, generally or conceptually, but for me personally. Do you catch that? Is it personal for you today? So, so this transaction, this fresh wind of God's favor is blowing through my mind and it's affecting my heart and it's producing joy. Joy. Now continue to read from the email. This person writes, Some of us, parentheses, maybe many, you think? <laughs> Some of us, probably all of us, need the Spirit to persuade us. Oh, that's my prayer this morning. Spirit of God, persuade us of our personal good fortune in regard to the gospel. Not just the biblical data describing the good fortune of believers categorically, not just the good fortune that, yes, all Christians had the good fortune of being justified by the blood of Christ. No, 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 no. But here is the key, that I, I, Alpino, put your name in there, I am the object of God's favor. He has set his affection on me, capital M-E, to love me in Christ. We must get to this place by the Spirit of God where we can say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now read the first quote in your notes, which is actually the end of the email. May the Spirit grant to all of us the persuasion that we were represented on the cross and God's undisturbable, undisturbable favor is forever upon us. Is this personal for you this morning? Or is it just business? Is God's reconciliation of, for, of you in Christ something that thrills your soul personally and changes your life profoundly? Or is it just another spiritual business transaction that keeps you out of hell? Oh, that's God's burden for you this morning. That you take it very personally. Oh, you get the benefit of eternal life in heaven with God. But it's so much more than that. It's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. God wants you to take it very personally because he made it personal by coming down himself in the flesh to die for your sins in order to accept you as his son, as his daughter. It doesn't get any more personal than that. And so the theme of this message there in bold in your notes is that we are to rejoice in God's acceptance of you in Christ. Rejoice in God's acceptance of you in Christ. There is nothing that will reach that. There, anything less is unacceptable. 
cold, detached business transaction, hey, I'm happy about it, is unacceptable. Rejoice. Rejoice in God's acceptance of you. You know, last weekend, the reason I wasn't here is I was invited to a meeting with 31 other men involved in Sovereign Grace Ministries. And it was a joy for me to be there. It was a joy for me to be there representing you. It was in Orlando. Our last meeting was, uh, was actually Sunday. We were doing a debrief, and so I drove back Sunday night. And, and I was invited to that meeting legally. I got the email. Uh, I, I, was given, I was given the reservation number in the hotel. When I got it to the hotel, I signed up. They knew who I was. I got my little packet with my name on it. I had my little badge. I was legally invited. The transaction was done. But let me tell you something. It went from a business meeting to something very personal. When I turned from registering and I turned and I saw my good friend Jim Britt. And we screamed and hollered and we hugged and we laughed and we started immediately mocking each other and mocking the guys that were over there and they were mocking us and we were having a blast. It went from strictly business. And in one sense, it is the business of preaching the gospel. We want to do it well. To personal. When when CJ, as I was going into this one restaurant, he was at the door and he, he grabbed my hand. He looked me right in the eye and he said, thank you, Al, for what you're doing. And please thank your church. And I want you to receive CJ's gratitude. If you're a guest, CJ Mahaney leads sort of the movement along with four or five other men. Thank you, church. It was personal when Dave Harvey said, Al, thanks for going to Cuba on Tuesday. Thank you. Tell Monolito I said hi. So it went from a business transaction, right? We're all familiar with business. We have business associates to something very personal. Something very personal. That's what God wants you to get this morning. That's why this scripture is here. God tells us to rejoice. And then he writes out the reasons in large letters. My prayer has been and continues to be that you would rejoice. So let's take a look now at the first command of God in this passage. Really, the command that is fleshing out the main propositional statement of rejoice in God's acceptance of you. And you have it in your notes, point number one. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's the commandment. Now let's look at the facts, at the truth behind that commandment. See, this passage begins with the indicative truth of justification that fuels the imperative command to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh really, where is that, Al? Well, look at verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you see it? There's the indicative truth. We have been justified. We have peace with God. Therefore, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, your hope is in the glory of God. Your rejoicing is in the hope of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is revealed in the cross of Christ. The New Testament is full of references to the glory of God being revealed in the cross of Christ, especially in 1 Corinthians. Remember that God's glory is simply 
God's holiness made public. So on the cross, you see holy God making his holiness public by punishing holy Jesus Christ, the only perfect man, for unholy Al's sins. So the holiness of God is made public. It comes and it intersects with humanity. And God punishes sin because he's holy and is righteous. And he punishes the holy Lamb of God, his Son, so that you and I, unholy men and women, can be reconciled with him. Not just justified. Not just let off the hook legally. Not just come to the court and say, Judge, would you please let me off this? And the judge says, boom, fine, okay, you're not, you're not guilty, I let you off, and you walk away. But no, 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 no. We're not only made legally righteous, but then the judge comes off the bench, takes off his robe, and he says, I'm your father. It's personal. It's, it's relational. That's what this passage is all about. That's what it means to hope in the glory of God. <laughs> it, it's, it's a hope in what Jesus came to do. So do you rejoice in God's glory this morning? Do you rejoice in the cross of Christ? Is your life marked by joy? I don't mean are you outgoing, happy person who is always laughing. I don't mean that you are frivolously foolish. I don't mean that you are superficially silly. But is your life marked by a deep-seated joy over God's glory revealed in Christ on the cross on your behalf? And the answer to that question is, it determines whether you view God simply as, it's not personal, it's simply business. Or whether you take it personally. Whether you are a Christian in the sense of a business, cool, detached, Michael Corleone way, or whether you are a believer adopted by the Father who personally came for you and you take it personally. Is your life marked by joy? That's the barometer. You see, this kind of joy produces people who are kind and gentle and peaceable and compassionate and humble and patient. Ouch. This kind of joy produces folks who rejoice and express joy toward others. Whether the volume of their life is turned up to 10 like mine or is an easy listening 4 like my wife's. Doesn't depend on your personality. It depends on what's inside here. It depends on what's burning in your soul. So fight for joy in hope of the glory of God. Point number two, inside left page of your notes. Rejoice in suffering. So the command is rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which is rejoice in the cross. But then God does something very curious here. He connects a line between our joy and suffering. He actually commands us to rejoice in suffering. Look at that, verse 3, Romans 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, at this point, we need to find the indicative truth that can fuel such an audacious, imperative command to actually rejoice in our sufferings. And we find that indicative truth in verses 3 through 8. We find in verses 3 through 8 a boatload of truth that God reveals to navigate the turbulent waters of suffering and to do so with joy. To do so with joy. 
verses 3 through 8 change you from a person that's on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in a storm, hanging on, whoa, I'm going to die, throwing up, you know, just being sick, to the person that's in a, a raft on the Colorado River with five other people going, yeah, let's go, wow! Same waves, same possibility of dying, <laughs> but what's different? One of them's rejoicing. The other one's going from complaining to throwing up to fearing to passing out. Which are you this morning? The rapids are coming. The waters are rising. The storms, they're here, right? So which are you? How you view the cross, whether it's a business transaction that makes you righteous, great, I'm going to heaven next, or it's personal. Oh, thank you, Lord. Personally, you came for me. That will determine and produce the fruit of rejoicing in suffering. Look, look what it says in Romans 5, 3 through 8. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Okay, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. What? Hope doesn't put us to shame, but I'm suffering. Isn't it shameful to suffer? Well, it hurts. But what keeps us? What keeps us from shame in our suffering? Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's the deal. What keeps you rejoicing in your suffering is understanding that God's love was poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that love poured into your hearts? Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Woo! There it is. Christ died for the ungodly. That would be you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this truth of rejoicing in your sufferings is tied into what I just read by that little phrase in verse 3, more than that. More than that. So in verse 3, where it says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, it ties it into the indicative truth that we're justified. It ties it in what's, what, what follows, that while we were sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. This is the imperative truth that enables me to rejoice when things aren't going my way, when I'm suffering. Remember that this is the point of the sermon. The main point. Rejoice in God's acceptance of you in Christ. This is my prayer, that the Holy Spirit would pour God's love out in your heart. He would do it in such a way that it would just overwhelm you with a personal sense of gratitude for God's love for you. Oh, friends, hope in God's love never puts us to shame because Christ died for us when we were weak, ungodly, and at enmity with God. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what I pray the Holy Spirit revealed to you more than a business transaction. Oh, this is my prayer right now. It's my prayer earlier this week. I pray that you would know, I mean really know, by the Spirit of God, how much God loves you, how much God accepts you in Christ. He doesn't just tolerate you as a business partner, but he accepts you as a child. 
You are his child in Christ. You are adopted into his family in a very personal way. I don't know any adoption that isn't personal. I mean, the last name is changed so the child becomes yours. Your name is changed so you become God's. It's personal. Do you see it? Do you feel it? God is for you. God is for you. You who were his enemy are now his friend. God has made you his friend through the death of his son. It's not business. Oh, friend, it is personal. So take it personally. And then the third point. Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We find in verses 9 to 11 that God assures us that if while we were enemies, he reconciled us to himself through Christ's death, then how much more, now that we're reconciled, will he save us by his life? Let's read that together. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, there's that term, much more, Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, there is that term again, more than that. We also rejoice in God. We rejoice in God, not just simply to be uh, emotional, but because of the truths that we've just read, we now rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ah, let's drop into that word reconciliation. What does it mean? What does reconciliation mean? Well, First of all, it occurs when two parties are offended and something happens so that the two parties come together. The offense is removed. Reading from your notes, the John Piper quote, For God and man to be reconciled, God's wrath had to be changed to mercy and man's defiance had to be changed to faith. Christ's death did both of those. Here's the deal. There's nothing you could do to remove the offense of your defiance. Listen, you know how you defy God? By the indifference that may be coursing through your heart right now as you're listening to me. (laughs) Ouch. But it's true. If a king walked into a room and you were chewing gum and slouched in your chair and watching the Gators kill FSU. Did I just slip that in there? And a king or a president, and you said, hey. In the old days, they would kill you, okay? Today, I would just hope some, like the burliest Secret Service guy would just slap you upside the head, you know? Why? Because someone worthy of your full attention walked in the room. Listen to me carefully. Someone worthy of your full attention is speaking to you right now. Are you giving it to him? He died for you so that you would no longer live for yourself and all your crazy ideas and your selfish desires, but you would live for him. It starts with joy. It doesn't start with the imperative command. It starts with the indicative truth. Rejoice. 
because he died for you. He didn't send the army. He came, rescued you. So you know how we offend him? By just this benign, selfish, obnoxious indifference. (laughs) The best way to illustrate it is from my own life. My wife walks through the room. She's wanting me to do something, and I'm just, I'm just like slouch. I'm like the, 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 the couch potato, you know, on steroids, watching football. You know, it's only the 18th hour that weekend. And she's asking me to do something. I'm like, okay, honey. Now, thankfully, I've changed. And it's far less hours, and I jump off the couch far quicker and with zero attitude. But, 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 Yes, she's my wife and I'm called to love her. How much more when God shows up? And listening to him is such a low priority in your life. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. Take it personally. Because he took it personally. And the good news is, he doesn't hold your sin against you. So go run to him. The goodness of God brings you to repentance. (laughs) He could squash us like a but he dies for us as if we were worth anything. That's God's burden for you this morning. You see, we could do nothing to remove the offense of our sin that hinders God's mercy from coming on us. God did that. Personally. And we could do nothing to remove the indifference and the defiance of our hearts. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead. We could have cared less about God. And he came. And Jesus' death and resurrection gives us now life. And I want God. To whatever degree I want him, it's all of his grace. It's none of my effort. This is why this undisturbable favor is exactly that. It can't be disturbed because it's of God. So, here's the question for you. Is your life marked? Is your life marked by a personal, joyful, enduring faith in Christ? Is your life marked by a personal, enduring faith in Christ. This passage is all about God's reconciling us to himself through the death of his son. It's all about a very personal God doing a very personal thing of personally dying for our sins. And he then accepts us based on that death. We who once were his enemies have now been made his friends through the death of Christ. Do you understand it? Good, that's a start. Oh, but there's more. Do you believe it? Some of you don't believe it. It's called being unregenerate. Oh, may the Spirit of God come now and give you faith. Now. Yeah, I'm crazy about this. This is the one thing I should be crazy about. Because if I really love you, I am helping you to love God because one day you will stand before God. So the greatest blessing I could bless you with is say, love God. And it's impossible to love God without first believing in Him. I mean, really believing. Not a religious thing, but really believing. So do you believe it? But oh, even if you believe it, 
even if you believe it, do you feel it? Oh, I think I have warrant for asking that. Do you rejoice in it? Show me rejoicing that doesn't involve emotion and feeling, and I will show you a false rejoicing, a hollow rejoicing. When I rejoice, man, you see it on my face. You hear it in my voice. Remember, I live life at, you know, level 10, volume 10. My sweet wife, you know, her rejoicing is a little calmer, more easy listening music at four. doesn't matter. Her rejoicing is every bit as real as mine, but it affects us. Our emotions are touched. When's the last time God affected your emotions? You've got to look at the cross more. It doesn't come by trying harder. It becomes by looking at the indicative, the truth, longer and meditating on it. Ultimately, it comes by the Holy Spirit falling upon us this morning and and convincing us. As Wally wrote in this email, convincing me, persuading me that it's not just a corporate good. It's not just some corporate business transaction, but it's personal. God loves me. Anything less is, I believe, sub, subnormalcy in Christianity. It, it, God has much more for us. And then finally, it should affect how we live. May this truth affect all of us emotionally. May it affect us volitionally. What does that mean? May it affect our decisions. May it affect, may it determine how I, how you live our lives, how we spend the money that God has given us, how we use the talents that God has given us, how we steward the time that God has given us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on us right now. And God's love would be shed abroad in our hearts right now. He would convince us. He would take away the hard thoughts we have about God and replace them with biblical thoughts of reconciliation, of adoption. He's my daddy. He's my Abba Father. His affection is toward me because he slaughtered his son for me. May that work me up. And I pray it work you up. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, please join me. As your head is bowed in prayer, I I pray that you would exercise self-control and have as little movement as possible. God's speaking right now. He's in the room. I invite you to pay attention to him. I believe he's asking you some questions. And just listen to these questions. You have them in your notes, so no need to read them right now. Just listen to them. I believe God would be asking you this question, in what or whom do you hope? What is the source of your hope? Who or what do you turn to in trials or difficulties? That will help you discern where your hope really is. I believe a second question God would ask you is, what is the basis for your joy today? Another way to ask that is, What can take your joy away? I think a third question he would ask you is, what does my word in Romans 5 say about the biblical basis for your hope? What does my word in Romans 5 say is the biblical basis for your joy? And I believe the Holy Spirit is here right now to fill you with joy and hope based upon the indicative truths you've just heard. May God speak to us this morning. May God speak to us this morning. 
God, speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that that you would pour your spirit out. Lord, beyond what my words endeavor to do in, in a very human, fallible way. But, oh, Father, oh, Spirit of God, come dwell with your people right now. Lord, regenerate cold, stony, dead hearts to you right now. May the words that were just preached and they're on these pages regenerate hearts by your spirit. Lord, take hearts that have become kind of just indifferent to you. They're alive to you, but yeah, it's a business transaction. It's not personal, it's strictly business, God. And turn that perverse thinking into, oh, it is intensely personal. I love you. May people hear for the first time your voice saying, I love you. May they see your face smiling upon them. May they feel the embrace of your arms by your spirit this morning. And may they know that you love them personally. You call them by name. May I know that, Lord. May I know that.